1: Welcome into the Saturday show, everybody! Right here on the KSL Sports Zone. My name is Jake Hatch. Across from me, as always, is Michelle Bodkin. Michelle, what's up?
2: Not much. Just running off of little sleep. I, I was on a game <laughs> high last night. Uh-huh. Uh, for those of you that don't know, they are a very real thing.
1: They are a real thing. <laughs> it, it, trust me, like people like really, like, feel like you probably just go home right to bed after the game. No, usually no because you're you're you've been so engaged with it and obviously with you you're writing i'm usually doing pre and post game coverage for a lot of the college stuff i'm doing rsl stuff now you get done and you have to like unwind yeah it takes a minute
2: yes <laughs> yes uh yeah so i i mean we're a little sleepy but but we're overall good i i feel like i say that every week
1: <laughs> that's okay well christian back in the saddle producing for us this week christian what's up buddy
3: not much another saturday
1: another saturday indeed and you and i are going to be hanging out all day today apparently
3: i'm excited i had so much fun last week and i haven't watched an rsl game in years uh-huh. but last last saturday was so much fun
1: Well, they kicked off their season with a 2-1 comeback win over Vancouver. Uh, They're back on the road tonight uh, taking on the Seattle Sounders up there in Seattle. Uh, Christian will be pushing the ones and twos as he is right now for that broadcast. I will be on pre-half and post-game coverage with Lauren Beck as well as Spencer Warren, uh, David James, Jay they will have the call. We'll have a lot of fun tonight. So we got a lot to cover on that front. Uh, But as we are wont to do here on today's show, let's run down where we're going on today's show. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. Got to talk some college basketball. Uh, The Utah Women uh, Fall in their first game in Vegas. BYU looked like they were on their way to doing just that. rallied last night to win. We'll cover those two. We'll t- look ahead to what's happening with Utah men tonight. We got a lot to cover on that front. BYU spring ball starts Monday. I know it doesn't feel like spring at all out there. No.
2: No. But, which means it's spring ball time. Ex-
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll we'll let you hear from Aaron Roderick, uh, maybe fit in some of the comments from Ryan Smith with uh, Hands and Scotty uh from yesterday's show on on here on the KSL Sports Zone, but most importantly, as we want to do, what was the highlight of your week, Michelle?
2: Oh, gosh. I think it was probably last night at the Utah Gymnastics It was really, Gymnastics really cool week. thing, by the way. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, last night, senior night for uh, the Red Rocks. Mm-hmm. And so every year, the Red Rocks senior class gets to design a leotard. Well, the, this particular senior class was really close with Aaron Lowe. Sure. Uh, and especially two of the girls already did a story about uh, Miley O'Keefe and Jaden Rucker's very strong friendship connection with Aaron Lowe um, and a couple of the other girls knew him really well as well. sure. Okay. And so they decided to use their leotard design to honor him. But I think the best part of that whole thing was uh, one of the seniors and she's actually chosen to come back. So she um, so Jaden Rucker, Miley O'Keefe, and Abby Paulson will all be back next year, which is huge and for the Red Rocks. And they're
1: using COVID yes. year, right? Is they that are, really, yep, yep, they're
2: using COVID year. Okay. Uh, Abby Brenner, Jillian Hoffman, and um, Crystal Isla all used up their eligibility. There was nothing left to use, so they are done. But the other three are actually coming back. But So anyways, they all got together, decided to design this leotard. Jaden Rucker used her NIL money to fly Aaron Lowe's mother out for the meet so that she could see wow. the video uh, that they put together to honor him, the leotards, and, and just how much they all appreciated her son and how good he was to them.
1: That's really cool.
2: It was really cool. It made me cry. Well, because
1: like, <laughs> NIL has gotten kind of a bad rap, let's it be has. honest. And But for somebody to give up money that they could easily have pocketed, used for something else, yeah. for them to think of somebody else's family. and like That's just a really, really noble gesture.
2: Yeah, and that was something that head coach Tom Farden brought up when he talked about it, mm. is that he's just been so impressed with his team overall as far as how they've gone about using their NIL money, because it has mostly been generous. Uh, Grace McCallum donated a massage chair to the team that okay. was worth thousands of dollars. Um, So she used her NIL money to help the team currently and going forward into the future. Obviously, Jaden Rucker with uh, Donna Lowe. And then, uh, you know, even someone like Jillian Hoffman, she's pocketed the money, but it's to go to nursing school. Okay. So, I mean, he's just really impressed with what his girls are doing Mm -hmm. uh, as far as, you know, how they're spending and using their NIL money.
1: Well, that's awesome. All right. Christian, I don't know if you can top that, but what was the highlight of your week?
3: I feel ridiculous going <laughs> after that. My highlight was...
1: Uh, i, I after, Trust me, mine pales in comparison, too, but go ahead.
3: I'd have to say last Sunday watching uh, Jake Paul lose for the first <laughs> time in his professional boxing career. That that was my highlight. Going up against... Wow,
2: that is petty. Was,
3: was it Tyson? No, it wasn't
1: Tyson. Tommy Fury. Tommy, Tommy Fury. Younger brother yeah. of yeah. Tyson. Yeah, half-brother, whatever, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah.
3: Uh, <laughs> I can respect that, though. Uh, right. You
2: know, I like a little petty. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, and it's... I don't know. I mean, these YouTube influencers are all the rage these days, but I, I'm not a fan of the Paul brothers, and uh, I'm a huge boxing fan. I mm-hmm. think that... It's great that he was bringing eyeballs to the sport of boxing, but at the same time, like it's disrespectful to call yourself a boxer and only fight like forty-year-old retired athletes. But yeah, true. this is his first match against somebody around the same age as him, somebody who is also like a, a legitimate boxer, and then he lost. So that that <laughs> made me happy. <laughs> well, that, that, that's that's the thing is. They,
1: have, you're right, they they do bring the eyeballs to the sport, but at the same time, they're doing it to prop themselves up by going against, lack of a better term, washed up athletes. Right,
3: like, okay, cool, you knocked out Nate Robinson, who <laughs> hasn't been relevant in yeah. the sports world in years. But then
1: the first time he goes up against like an actual boxer in, in Tommy Fury, he wins in a split decision. I'm assuming they're going to rematch, who knows, we'll see what happens.
3: Yeah, and so. it was a good fight. Um Jake Paul didn't get obliterated and yeah. he knocked Tommy Fury down and mm-hmm. that did make the scorecard a little bit closer than it should have been. I feel like Tommy kind of I don't want to say dominated the fight, but he won almost every round, but it it, it was a fun fight to watch. I liked it. All right. I do I, I do kind of respect the Petty. It's it's, it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. It is pretty good. I
2: enjoyed that. <laughs> uh <laughs>
1: That's the thing about that. It's just, the, the, they have so much, they're influencers for a reason, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's just a whole nother deal. All right. Highlight my week quickly. I just had my uh, son, so I've got two kids. Most people know this. I've got a daughter and a son. Uh, both of them are growing like weeds. Uh, my son earlier this week, it was kind of funny. He walks up to me, he's like, he's like, Dad, I want to be a basketball player. I'm like, okay. What, like, he's like, and he points, and we were watching an NBA game. He's like, I want to do that. I'm like. Okay, let's go for it. So we've started working on his basketball skills. We had some fun with that. His first time really kind of saying that he wanted to actually do something sports-wise of his own. Like, we've suggested things, but he's like, I want to do that. I'm like, okay, we can do that. So it was kind of fun.
2: So is he junior jazz?
1: We're going to get him into junior jazz. He's not old enough yet for okay. it. He's only four. So, oh, but, okay. But he thought it was cool. He's like, I want to be a basketball player. So I was like, all right, we can do that.
2: Let's let's go. Start working on it. Let's, so, hope, let's hope you grow, too. Let's exa-
1: well, yeah, that, that, that too. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. All right, but without further ado, let's actually get into the meat and potatoes of today's show. Let's get to What's the Big Deal. Do you know who I am?
3: No. I, I can't say that I do.
0: I don't know how to put this, but... I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me.
3: I'm very happy for you.
0: I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. (laughs) All
1: right, let's start off with the Utah Jazz. Uh, They had an opportunity, they opened a six game road trip. Michelle, they are going, they're on the road for 13 days here. No back to backs, six games spread across the country. They're Oof. going... Uh, I have to look up the exact uh, setup of how they're doing this, but they have two games. They So they played in Oklahoma City last night. They're staying there until tomorrow where they play Oklahoma City for a second straight game. And then they're going to head to the East Coast. I think there's Charlotte in there, Miami, Orlando. They got a they got a long, long... It's the, last, it's the last long road trip of the season. And a lot of people have kind of pinned, okay, if the Jazz truly are going to be a playoff or a play-in team... The results of this road trip probably influence greatly where they're going to land. And going into last night's game, Oklahoma City, similar to the Jazz, has kind of been flirting with that 500 mark mm-hmm. and thinking, okay, they've been competitive. They've got a guy like Shea, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's been a an emerging star, but really stepped onto like the big stage this year as an all-star, has proven himself to be a bonafide scorer, just absolutely sensational. Well, you go into last night's game, and the Utah Jazz going into last night were two games up on the Thunder in terms of the standings at 31 and 32. The Thunder were 28 and 34. So the Jazz were, I think, okay, if you win these two, you have a team that's below you in the standings that you vault yourself pretty far ahead of. But last night, they came out, and in the first half alone, 17 turnovers. Wow. And on our rundown, you probably can see it, I, I said the Utah Jazz fumble it away in OKC. And that's exactly what they did. Ugh. Way too many turnovers. Way too many just uh, sloppy possessions. And David Locke pointed this out. I was listening to his postcast. I don't know how many people know of this, but he does a, a short-form podcast every night after, after he's done with his Jazz responsibilities on Locked on Jazz. He calls it a postcast talking about the game. <laughs> Since Mike Conley was traded, do you guys know in terms of possessions, uh, uh, not possessions, turnovers per game or taking care of the basketball, where the Jazz ranked since trading Mike Conley at the trade deadline?
2: I will just be honest and upfront. I would not know.
1: Okay. (laughs) Since you bring
3: it up and word it that way, I'm going to guess last. They're 30th. 30th out of 30, right? 30th out of 30 in the NBA. They
1: have been, (laughs) I don't want to be too mean, but they have been bad with holding on to the basketball. And that's that's the thing about this, Oklahoma City. I I was I preached Jake and Ben yesterday filling in for Sarah, and Jake Scott brought up the points like, Oklahoma City had a good run this season, but they want to establish themselves in the lottery here and add another piece to their puzzle here. They don't want to win, but what do they do last night? The Utah Jazz were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to out tank you tonight. And I don't know that because <laughs> the Jazz were just it. it it was abysmal watching that game. I, I was sitting there watching. I'm like, guys, take care of the basketball. They ended up finishing with 25 turnovers. Oh, boy. Which, and I said 17 in the first half. I was like, what is going on here? And so they did clean it up in the second half. But the, the problem was, Michelle, and I'll get your thought on this, is that there's a lot of Jazz fans out there who are saying that the Jazz have completely screwed up this season. They, 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 <laughs> they want the Jazz to be near the top of the lottery, want them to be fighting for the brick for Vic or uh, suck for Scoot, the two top guys in the draft. The Jazz still aren't that far off of being in a conversation for the high part of the lottery. The other problem is the Jazz have found some nice pieces. So they're trying to straddle a line here, I feel like, of, okay, do you want to stay competitive, chase that playoff spot, which they've all said they want to do, versus does the front office ultimately want them to fall into a crater here in the final now 18 games of the
2: season? (sighs) I mean, I, I've stated my opinion before, and it it's not changing. It's not wavering. If yeah. you have something good going for you and you can make it work, mm-hmm. then make it work.
1: Well, and that's a very good point. And, Kate, okay, plus minus is a very nebulous um, stat because you can be – Plus or minus in a blowout loss or win, and make your stats like in your setup look look good. But across the board, last night for the Jazz, Lowry Markinen, minus twenty six and plus minus, Kelly Olenek minus eighteen, Ochai Abaji minus nineteen, Walker Kessler minus thirteen. Uh, let's see. Also, Chris Dunn, the ten day superstar that he's been for the Jazz, minus twenty four. Ooh, nobody was good in this game.
2: Well, and I mean here's the here's the thing, like. If you're not good organically because it just wasn't your night or, you know, you lost concentration, the mojo, whatever, mm-hmm. and, and we saw that with Utah's women's team the other day. Sure, we're going to talk um, about that here in a yes, minute. Yes, yes, yeah. we'll get – but, I mean, you know, stuff like that happens. But I just feel like if you've shown that you can play to a certain standard, play to that certain standard. The, the Again, I the tanking to get draft picks thing really bugs me. Uh, I, Same here. I don't –
3: especially considering how rarely that even works like yeah. that doesn't that doesn't work as the philadelphia 76ers how many of those top draft picks ah. panned out one day yeah that's not a proven way yeah. to win to, to win a, or build a the, winning yeah team. these franchises think oh we're gonna be the ones to make it work maybe five years from now oklahoma city is gonna be making it work but as of right now like that's not a reliable way to win in the NBA. If
1: it was going to work, the Philadelphia 76ers would have had multiple titles by now cuz that they legitimately were the the process. You remember, yeah. like they they went into the tank on purpose multiple years in a row with the thought of this. They've been a good team since building around Joel Embiid, but have they gotten anywhere near a title? No. Anyways, continue with your thought.
2: Yeah, so I it's, I I don't know. I think the NBA needs to fix that. Uh, I I just why? Why are you rewarding purposely going out and being bad?
1: Well, and see that, that that's a very good point you make because we all want our teams to win. That's that that's the point of watching these teams go. It's why you root for your team. You want to see them win. they you live vicariously through them in a way. Yes, and watching them essentially like I am gonna I am gonna totally be okay with them losing. No, you don't do that. And the thing about this, the Jazz under Will Hardy this year, they've been a fairly cohesive unit. Yeah especially considering how many changes in this lineup they've had. They went into training camp with Donovan Mitchell still on the roster, ended up training him, uh, trading him right before uh, training camp really got going. So he was on that roster. Mm-hmm. Then they find out, okay, Lowry Marketing's capable of taking on a huge load and ends up being an all-star. They traded away Mike Conley at the deadline. Malik Beasley goes out. Jared Vanderbilt's out. Uh, they're now with the Lakers. It was. it has been a lot of turnover here. But last night's game to me was a little disheartening because the the other thing about this is Larry Markinon. from oh, look at the stats here. He had 20 points in this game and 10 rebounds. So he had another double double. The issue was though, 0 of 5 from three, 6 of 14 from the field overall. And Lou Dort, most uh, Utah fans will remember him from the Arizona State Sun Devils. Lou Gents, I, think I say his name, but he's he's Oklahoma City's stopper. Mm. The problem is he's only six four. He's a, he's put together like a Mack truck. I'll give him that. He's 220 pounds. He is a well put together athlete. Yeah. But the problem is, Larry Marken and it's seven feet tall almost. Was getting locked up by a guy at six four.
2: That just means you're getting outworked. Well, I mean, that literally means you're getting outworked.
1: And Lou Dort is a guy who is just
3: he, he, the Dortcher Chamber. Yeah, exactly. is what they call yeah. him.
2: Oh, but that's exactly
1: what it is. He 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 will. He competes every single. Night. He knows his role. Yeah. His role is to lock up the opposing team's best player. And Mark Dagenault, I think is how you say his name, their head coach from Oklahoma City. Uh he he actually in lock also mentioned on the podcast that Lou Dort on any given night in the NBA it's a big it's a bit, very much a switching league. Like you switch just to, on the picks. They don't switch with Lou Dort. He has his guy, he stays on his guy and he stays on his guy all night. That's that's his job. Wow. And to Mark Dagenault's credit, Lou Dort locked up Larry Markinen. Now we're going to find out because they get a second straight crack at this tomorrow night. They're going to go up against Oklahoma City. It's a rematch. It's in Oklahoma City. I'm interested to see how Lowry Markkinen responds after getting, putting that, as, as Christian said, the torture chamber last night.
2: That is fantastic. Uh, I, I mean, yes, right? Ideally, you want to see your people, your players, your athletes mm-hmm. learn from things that go wrong. And so – yeah, you want to see what Larry Markkinen has learned from going up against the Dortcher chamber yeah. <laughs> the first go around uh, and and see if he can't figure out a way to combat that or get around that or, you know, turn it against him. Uh, the, the best athletes, that's what they do.
1: Well, and, yeah, they do. And so I want to transition this. Just one of the thought on the jazz. And we're going to call troops here in just a second. Is that with the jazz last night though I, I look at this I looked at the box where I pulled it up and at the end of the game I was like okay shagel Jiz Alexander didn't play in this game he is far and away Oklahoma City's best player Chet Holmgren is out for the season so they they obviously are missing some pieces but they have guys like um so I, well, I pulled this up and I had to double check it because I remember first looking because with the way uh, the the they lay it out on ESPN.com, is they put first initial last name. When you see A. Wiggins, who do you think of?
2: Andrew Wiggins? It's
1: not Andrew Wiggins. I thought that immediately. I'm like, hold on. When did Andrew Wiggins end up with the Oklahoma City Thunder? <laughs> Aaron Wiggins. I have no idea if they're related. He led the Thunder as a second-round pick who was a 55th pick in, in the NBA draft out of Maryland. He led the Thunder last night off the bench with 27 points. Oh. You could, I could not have told you a thing about this dude. No. Before this, but also Jalen Williams, the former Santa Clara star, he was a first-round draft pick last year. Goes for twenty points. Isaiah Joe seventeen. Josh Giddy. Uh, there, I actually saw a really funny uh, nickname for him. Uh, I have to look it up again, but was, because he's from Australia, and mm-hmm. a lot of people think he's kind of the the new age of Joe Ingles in a way, okay. where he does a bunch of different things. He goes for 18, uh, 18 points and thirteen assists as a forward, like. The Jazz defense, as much as they got locked up on offense, the Jazz defense yielded way too much. It gave up 130 points, as 130 to 103 in the in, in the
2: end. And that's a pretty big score for NBA. Well, like, and, it's and usually Jazz, low 100. The Jazz
1: typically have been a fairly cohesive unit defensively. It did not work last night.
2: I, I mean, whew, uh, so, sometimes it just be like that. Yeah. But uh, again, I think. I think the important thing, the critical thing is seeing what did they learn from that first go around and can they lock it down and can they make it better?
1: Well, and that will be very important. So uh, now to transition a little bit, it's not necessarily a cleanest transition, but with the Utah women, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, they went, they were number three team in the country uh, that obviously will change after what happened. But Thursday night, they're in Vegas for their first, uh, was it the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 women's tournament yeah. going against Washington State. Now, the, way, the reason why I'm transitioning to this because it felt like, and this is kind of the same thing with, with the Jazz Thunder, is that in the, the middle part of the game, so I'm talking the tail end of the second quarter, into the, especially in the third quarter for the women, mm-hmm. the game changed. Mm-hmm. And the Jazz, they very much were already teetering at halftime. The Utah women, it felt like, okay, they're okay here.
2: Yeah, they'll go into halftime, they'll have their rah-rah pep talk, sure. come out, light, fire lights out.
1: And yeah. but they came out and got the, they,
2: they came out and they were flat yeah they were
1: flat and they got obliterated in that third quarter and that completely changed that game it felt like in some ways this is kind of what happened with the Utah Jazz last night in, in the same way but speaking of the Utah women for a minute here Michelle because you cover them so closely do you feel like that was a result of they kind of expended a bunch of energy to beat Stanford to win that regular season title and there may have been a bit of a hangover effect.
2: I think there maybe was. Uh, I mean, that Stanford game was really, really physical. And, no. and the fact of the matter is, I, I don't know if it showed as well like on TV, but being there in person, I was absolutely floored with how much bigger, taller, lengthier oh, Stanf- Stanford's team was Stanford compared to Utah.
1: Is is very long. I, I had a chance to watch them in the Pac-12 championship game last year, and they had a bunch of their same players still playing. And I, I remember watching Stanford last year, I'm like, holy smokes, this is like the biggest women's team I have ever seen.
2: Yeah, they they have a lot of height on yeah. their team, a lot of height. Uh, and that's something that Utah doesn't have. So that instantly kind of makes some of those games a lot more physical. And, they, and they've run into that with a lot of the other games they've played as well. Uh, you know, the reason why their, their UCLA game in Salt Lake was so close was, mm-hmm. I mean, UCLA has some good height to them. And... The reason why you know those Washington State games were kind of close that they pulled out during the regular season is I mean Washington State has some good height that Utah just really kind of doesn't have at the moment, and uh, I I think that was kind of the big I think it was going against another team kind of built like that, and and just not having the energy, the the legs under them to really. Try and out physical people that are bigger than you. Okay. Uh, is is what it kind of looked like to me.
1: So PK brought this up yesterday. 25 years ago, the Utah men's team went into the—it was then the WAC tournament yeah. and flamed out in their first game. And we all know what happened eventually. They mm-hmm. made the run to the national, title, the national title game against Kentucky, ultimately fell short in that game. Do you feel like in some ways this may reset U- the Utah women's team and get them a little more focused? They, they have some extended time off here. They got almost two weeks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But do you feel like this, in a way, will wake them up a little bit and say, okay, we got to kind of regroup here and get ready for the postseason?
2: I think it has some great potential to do that. Uh, talking with Ben and Jake yesterday, you know, they also brought up the, well, it is a long extended break. Like, do, do you kind of get rusty, too? And it's like, yeah, it's. It, I think it's going to be a fine line for them to balance the resting up both physically and mentally, mm-hmm. the resetting part. Uh, but making sure that, yeah, you don't kind of lose that edge that you've built up all season long. Uh is going to be a tough balancing act, I think, for him. But I do think there's some good potential there for that reset, like yeah. you said. I, I I think it's kind of needed, and you know, we'll we'll see how far it takes them. I don't know if they're you know a Final Four team or or oh
1: come on, Michelle.
2: I I mean, we'll see. They they maybe could be. They really maybe could be. Yeah. Uh But again, uh, the one thing. I would say is a big knock on them is is the height. They're a little they're a little undersized and and I just don't know if you are constantly going against teams like that how how far and how long can they put up that fight?
1: Well, and if you get it deeper into that tournament, you're going up against the likes of the Yukons, the South Carolinas, mm-hmm. and where just like Stanford. They're long. They're athletic. They're tall. It's it's an issue.
2: I think this Utah women's basketball team is really really good, and I think they are on the right track to becoming elite. I just don't know that they're quite there yet. I think they need to get one or two more pieces.
1: Well, they're, they've had an incredible season. Uh, just real quick before we take a break here, uh, BYU similar to what we've already been talking about. BYU men's team last night. They're down. They they slept walk through the first half last night. <laughs> I, I mean that sincerely. They scored thirty points, but it was just like what are y'all doing? Like, this is your season on the line here. Oh, man. Because had they lost last night, they crash out of the West Coast Conference tournament in the second round, and at that point, are they going to play in the CBI, CIT, whatever one of those if, <laughs> get, where you pay to play postseason tournaments? I'm not sure BYU would be for that. But in the second half, kind of flipping the script of what we just talked about, BYU's like, they went and got their rah-rah speech. Mark Pope fired them up. They came out and absolutely started locking down Portland on defense and all of a sudden started finding their shooting stroke. They turned a 13-point deficit at halftime. They were on 43-30, and within about five minutes of that second half, they were up eight. They, it was incredible to watch them kind of flip the script on its head, and BYU ends up uh, winning that game. They've advanced; they'll play Loyola Marymount tonight in the quarterfinals of the West Coast Conference tournament. They win tonight; they'll have tomorrow off, and they'll play in the semifinals against Saint Mary's Monday evening. It's a big opportunity here for Mark Pope and his squad, but it's kind of it was kind of the the opposite storyline of the Jazz, the Utah women versus because I, I honestly I'm watching that first half of BYU last night, thinking like. Well, Michelle and I are going to be talking a lot about a lot of losing tomorrow, because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the way it just it, it, yeah. it felt like it was tracking. And to BYU's credit, they they essentially were like okay, we're done with this. Let's we figure we got to figure this out. And the one thing BYU has always had, and I think Utah Utah women have the same thing, is when they lock in defensively when they when they know what they're doing and they just decide to put the effort into it. They're very, very good on that end of the court, and it, it, it leads to them breaking out on the other end. Mm-hmm. Turnovers, fast break points, it just gets you more, and BYU figured it out. So credit to Mark Pope, whatever he said at halftime, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what he said, but something clicked with his guys.
2: I mean, that's that's why we watch these tournaments, right, is, yeah. is to see kind of some of those incredible feats, and good for BYU because... Honestly, going further in that tournament is going to do a lot more for them than it would have for Utah's women's team. Sure, because
1: so. Utah women are assured of they're probably dropped. Okay, they were probably they had a chance to get to the one seed, but yep. now they're probably going to be a two seed. Yeah, but that was the real question about their run in the West in the Pac-12 tournament versus BYU men over here. You want to play in the postseason?
2: Yep. You, you, put, you better win.
1: Exactly. You got to put it together. So one of those interesting things. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, Michelle's favorite topic... Is uh, Friday's anymore, Michelle, or like the day to They're get conference expansion news? Uh, John Canzano apparently has now four teams, at least that the Pac-12 might be evaluating in terms of expansion. We'll talk about more about that. You'll also hear we'll get you ready for BYU Spring Ball starting on Monday. Crazy enough, Aaron Roderick uh, took some time to join DJ and PK yesterday. We'll let you hear from him a little later on in today's show. This is the Saturday show right here on ninety-seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back to the Saturday Show right here on ninety-seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle Bodkin, Jake Hatch, along for the ride, and Michelle, should we talk some conference expansion? If we must. The, the look on your face is just classic. <laughs> um, okay, so this is continuing to drag on, and I actually really agree. I saw a tweet yesterday, and I re- I don't recall who it's from, but I completely agree with their assessment. The Pac-12 probably will not announce anything officially, it feels like, until after the NCAA tournament is done. They're not going to go and upstage March Madness. Right. Because, in all honesty, you'll get buried by March Madness right? if you try and do that. But the other thing about this is the more it rolls on, the more stories come out about it. Uh, We had a report yesterday come out uh, from The Athletic, from Max Olsen, as well as Stuart Mandel, saying that the— and I hate this term—the four-corner schools. (laughs) I think it's the stupidest thing. I I get why they call it, but I don't like it at all. But anyways, Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State apparently have had renewed discussions with the Big 12. Uh, Jason Shear from down there in Arizona says the Big 12 in Arizona are going to meet this coming Tuesday. And then last night, John Canzano comes out with the thing, according to sources. He said that now the Pac-12 has now got four expansion candidates. So which one of those things do you want to explore first, Michelle? <sighs>
2: It take your pick. <laughs> whatever.
1: Okay, so let's okay. Let's start off with the with the four corner schools. They have been long rumored, especially in the case of Arizona, it, it, most notably, yeah, as being the most likely of the Pac ten, Pac twelve, whatever you want to call that, the group outside of UC, USC and UCLA to be in theory to consider jumping to the Big Twelve. With all of this. I'm constantly evaluating, okay, who is reporting this? Where is this coming from? Why is why are they saying this? In, in every circumstance. Because you're trying to figure out, okay, who, who
2: What's wants... What's the agenda?
1: So when it comes to this... Why do you think that report would reemerge yesterday about them potentially wanting to jump? Do you, do you think that it's those schools uh, trying to put leverage on the on the Pac-12? Because you also heard earlier this week from Jiathi Murthy, the president of, er- of Oregon State, who was on John Kinzano's radio show and said that unequal revenue sharing is in the discussions right. with this new Pac-12. Group. Do you think that those schools are trying to posture now or do you think that that's coming from somewhere else?
2: You know, it's for me, it's hard to say. Uh, I I have to say I, I read those Big 12 reports, mm-hmm. and I was very skeptical.
1: I uh, think all of us because in,
2: in a way. <laughs> I, is it that they're having conversations? Maybe. But those reports read exactly like the ones that came out almost immediately when this thing started except they changed a few things, few minor details. <laughs> Instead of it being the four-corner schools reaching out to the Big 12, this time it sounded more like it was the Big 12 reached out to the four-corner schools. Interesting. Uh, and on top of that, I just lost my train of thought, uh, but it... It's just, oh, and on top of that, again, kind of another deadline put on it. We expect this to happen within the next month. Sure. And last time it was within several days, and it Mm -hmm. never happened. It never panned out. And and the problem I have with these reports at this point, like, it was kind of fine in the summertime when you kind of knew that everybody was just filling out situations, right? Sure. So, yeah, nobody's going to really want to be on the record, on the hook for... We did this or we didn't do this. The fact that these reports are still coming out and it's some nameless, faceless source, nobody can sources say whether say, whether yeah. they're associated with the Big 12, whether they're associated with the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. You know, even kind of, uh, was it a president? Was it a, like, who is saying this? Where is this coming from? The fact that it's nameless, faceless sources makes me raise eyebrows. Uh, again, is it possible that they're talking? Sure. I uh, I think I would believe more that the Big Twelve probably reached out to those Pac twelve schools just based off of what I know about what Utah's focus has been. Well,
1: and I I would agree with your assessment on that. I, this is very much Brett Your mark. He is expansion minded, and he's trying to like essentially just strike while the iron's hot. But continue.
2: Uh, but but I mean, there there have been some people trying to claim that Utah and Colorado are kind of spearheading this and trying to Thelma and Louise their way out of the Pac-12. But then you have Kenzano, who actually talked to Colorado's president yesterday at the tournament, and he's on the record. So, again, this is where I'm like, okay, I think I believe this way more than I believe that. Mm -hmm. Because you have someone on the record saying, we don't plan... This, this, there's, this is not based in fact. We do not plan on jumping ship. We're, we have no interest in going back. And I mean, again, you have this person on the hook. This is the Colorado president said yeah. this. So if it turns out that he lied, it's going to look really bad.
1: Okay, so I, I pulled up Kinzano's article. It says, uh, so Las Vegas, the PAC-12 conference CEO group, which is the presidency and chancellors of the universities, have voted to approve, quote, further ex- exploration of four universities for possible conference expansion, I have learned. It says SMU and San Diego State are in that quartet. We've known about those mm-hmm. two, according to one of the conference presidents. Colorado State may also be among the candidates. Where in the world did Colorado State all of a sudden pop up here? That's, that, that is my question.
2: I mean, it's interesting that that's been kept so quiet yeah. Where the other two. And I think Canzano went on and said that he doesn't think that that's really the direction this they're going to go. This does not go.
1: mean the Pac-12 will definitely add four schools via expansion. It just means the, sc- the board gave the green light to kick the tires on four possible, can- uh, possible additions. Excuse me. The Pac-12 CEO group will ultimately add to, z- to add zero, one, two, three, or four new members. So it's very fluid in terms of how many ultimately might get invited. And as you said- Zero of them can ultimately get invited,
2: and that's going to be a very key thing. Unless these people bring some value, it's not going to happen because the Pac-12 is not going to further split up revenue to bring on other people that can't, kind of can't help carry some weight. So
1: now. The other thing on the Big 12 side of it uh, is that there is a pro-rata clause in the Big 12's current media rights with ESPN, mm-hmm. where ESPN owns about sixty, about two-thirds of the rights. So any school that gets added into the Big 12 will get the 60-whatever percent of the ESPN. Fox has not agreed to that. It amounts to about $11.3 million based on what I was reading last night. Uh, could Brett Yormark be negotiating with Fox saying, okay— Fox is like, well, we're willing to do that if you can add school X, Y, Z, whatever over here. That might be part of, I think, all of this, is that to get the money that the Big 12 wants, the money to attract somebody, he's probably got to be talking to Fox while also talking to these other schools, saying, okay, if you come, we'll get you this. If you don't come, we're just going to Stick with where we're at. And there's so many interesting things. The other thing, there's another point in this. It says that, quote, several Pac-12 sources say they're confident the conference will match or beat the Big 12's announced 31.6 million annual media rights to distribution figure. On Friday, one well, well-placed conference source, by the way, all of these faceless, nameless sources, as yeah. you said, are just hilarious to me because <laughs> nobody wants to go on the record, called being in the vicinity of that number a layup. Now, what the – what the uh athletic and other reports are saying is it's in the high 20 million. So are you sitting at 28, 29, 30 million? Do you match to 31 million? Do you think that really three or 4 million annually? Michelle, do you think that would cause a school, let's say it's Arizona in your case, Utah, whatever. Do you think that's enough money to make them reconsider and say, Hey Brett, what what do you got for us over here in the big 12? Do, do, do you really think that is the, would be the impetus for that? Cause I, I I don't think that would be it.
2: I I personally don't think so either. Uh, and it's, again, based on the fact these schools, well, yes, they are looking for a good deal for their athletics. It's more than athletics. <clears throat> Excuse me. They are also looking at uh, the research end of it mm-hmm. and, and being able to kind of keep this think tank together that, that they've created and they've done a lot of great positive work, uh, you know, for this country. Uh, as far as researching and and coming up with you know new innovative ways to handle whatever comes up in our in our daily lives mm-hmm. uh, and they've all been very very adamant they don't want to break that up uh, and the big 12 offers some interesting I think potential on the athletic side I don't know that they offer what they're looking for on the athletic side that's at least what. I've continually been told and and again I want to posture with my sources or not is deep into this thing <laughs> as uh, as as others are but like that that's just the constant message yes. I keep getting it seems to match up with what Kenzano has mm-hmm. been reporting and the other interesting thing I was told yesterday is everybody keeps looking to the Big 12 thing and it's not a thing it's just a loud noise is essentially what it is. People need to be paying more attention to what the PAC-12 and the ACC are doing. Well, Kinsano brought it up. Yeah. M- my source, my my person that I talked to mm-hmm. brought that up to me. That That's really where the focus needs to be. That's where people need to be looking. Interesting. Now, whether or not anything – and that was something that my source yeah. brought up too. Whether or not anything actually comes from it, uh-huh. I don't know. But he did say that uh, they felt like there was a lot of mutual interest on both sides. And so that's where the conversations are actually happening. It's not with the Big 12.
1: Well, see, that's interesting because I remember early on in all of this, there was talk about the potential of a ACC Pac-12
2: merger, networking yeah. agreement, so, so, yeah.
1: or a scheduling agreement, whatever it was, to just kind of tie those two together. It's very interesting to me, but at the same time, on that front, is that uh, with regards to to watching all of this unfold, is with every single one of these reports coming out, and no matter where it comes from, you kind of have to look between the lines and try and understand, okay. Who is this person? What is their reason for leaking yes. said information? And like, what, what's their angle with this? And it's, it's just so interesting to watch all this unfold because you've essentially got – okay, you've got people over here saying that the, 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 there are the four corner schools talking to the Big 12. Uh, according to John Canzano, The on the Oregon front, for example, they're all in, I think is what the quote was, mm-hmm. way way on board with its commitment to the Pac-12. I, I, compl- I actually believe that about Oregon. They're way yeah. on board because guess what? them fitting in with what the Big 12's got going right now just geographically doesn't necessarily make sense. And they're, they're probably working, in my mind, in lockstep with Washington over here. Because they're, they're the two Northwest kind of powers up there. And they, I think both of them, well, I don't, think, I, I don't think this. I actually have it on pretty good authority. They want nothing more than the Big 10 to say, hey, we need two more West Coast schools. And then the Ducks and the Huskies are like, hey, hey, us. Look at us.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I think that's the ideal for them. Yeah. I Again, conversations I've had, yeah. which is interesting, it's not as big of a slam dunk as people no. seem to think it is. And again, I have been told that Utah is much more of a player for the Big Ten than people let on. Oh. Uh, I've been told that Utah got marching orders as to, we want you to see... Want to see you do this, 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 and this over the next few years because mm-hmm. we're interested in you, but you're not quite there yet. If you can show us this, then come on down.
1: Well, and the other thing about this is the Big Ten on their side is they just lost their president. He went, uh, Kevin, um, Kevin Warren yes. went, went back to the NFL, and he Chicago. was he was so expansion minded. He want he didn't want to stop doing it, and the Big Ten kind of pushed like the, the the their CEO group, their university presidents and chancellors, kind of put the brakes on it. And they very well may reexplore it, but for the Big Ten, it's cooled until they have a new conference commissioner in mm-hmm. place, and then they can. All, this whole thing is so interesting. Like there
2: are a lot of moving parts. Yeah. If. You see reports on this stuff. Understand that it's maybe a very, very small fraction huh? of the actual story, and unfortunately, it's getting reported like it's the full story, oh, yeah. and it, it's causing problems. That I, I am. I'm so done and over with this. I'm so done and over with this.
1: We'll reconvene next week and talk
2: about it. I know, it, right? Okay? Yeah. We'll see what, what explosion happens next Friday. <laughs> it's right. like an episode of Soaps.
1: Exactly. Stay tuned. There's, there's more to come. All right. Uh, we'll get to technical fouls next. we will hear from Aaron Roderick uh, coming up in the 11 o'clock hours. Get you ready for BYU Spring Ball, which, crazy enough, they start on Monday. Uh, Utah starts on the 21st, correct? Yes. Yeah, so – Spring ball's here, folks, so get ready for it. We'll have more in a moment. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming
2: from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If
3: you touch the mistakes, you'll get hit with a back. because that's a technical foul. You will feel Foul,
2: Personal foul sixty-nine offense. He was giving them the business. A
3: technical
1: foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the KSL Sports Zone. Michelle and Jake along for the ride. And as you heard, it is time for technical fouls. Uh, Michelle, I know you've, yours carries over from our last segment, so I'm going to have you uh, go first. So go
0: ahead.
2: Yeah, we're just going to keep it short and sweet. Mine this week goes to this media rights drama and that's all it is it's drama like nobody's really reporting on anything meaningful or factual unless you give me a name or a play place or a face Mm kind of like Kenzano has i'm not gonna give what you have to say much thought at this point because we kind of are at that point (laughs) you need to show me that you have some facts in place or else it, it's we're just way past the the feeling out phase at this point.
1: Well, you're right. The, the 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 problem is there's so many people claiming sources out there. There's not that many sources unless you're talking to the, unless you all are talking to the same people. I think there's not as many sources as you might think there are.
2: It's uh, this whole thing has been giving me Kyle Whittingham 2015 <laughs> vibes, and okay. I am done. All
1: right i done. I can res- I can respect <laughs> that. Um, all right, I got a quick one here, and then we're gonna get to yours, Christian, because I think yours is the big one here. Um, I don't know if you saw this earlier this week. So Kent and Maeda uh, pitches for the Minnesota Twins, and they're using a new system in, in Major League Baseball called PitchCom, and it allows uh, pitchers they essentially push a button. On, it's on their arm or on their glove, that ha- it relays us into the catcher's ear. It's, a, it's a, like an earpiece that tells them what pitch they're going to throw. It's all part of the system. They now have the, the pitch clock engaged. Uh, earlier this week, though, uh, Kent Maeda, who's back off Tommy John, actually pitched two scoreless innings despite the Tampa Bay Rays, who he's going up against, being able to hear literally every pitch that was being called because his catcher, uh, Walters, I think is the last name, his earpiece was broadcasting so loudly that the home plate umpire was like, he went over to the Rocco Baldelli, the Twins manager, and told him, hey, I can hear every call coming into your catcher here. So the fact that he's... That's impressive. I know. For him to go two scoreless innings with these pick, these uh, batters knowing what pitches were coming, it's pretty impressive stuff. So keep your pitch comp system... Uh, Synced and make sure that it's not like blasting somebody's eardrum out apparently to be able to hear all that kind of funny thing. All right. Christian, uh yours is the big one I think of the day, but go ahead.
3: So for those that haven't been keeping up with all the drama of uh Ja Morant mm-hmm. lately. Earlier in the week, he got in trouble for allegedly beating up a 17-year-old kid Uh Uh, after Ja Morant beat him up. He went back into his house, came out with a gun in his waistband, Mm -hmm. and allegedly was, you know, flashing the piece, uh, (laughs) kind of threatening the 17-year-old kid after he already beat him up. So that's, you know, that in itself is a big, big deal that Warren's talking about.
1: And that also goes back to earlier this season, a group of his...
3: Yes, his... Friends, Cronies. whatever, were a
1: laser pointer or a gun sight or whatever at an opposing the Indiana Pacers
3: bust. Right, bust. there was a, a red dot laser, uh, and of course, it could have just been you know they're or, playing yeah. around and it's a laser pointer, or you know maybe it is a gun. But Who they, knows? But they got
1: they got into a verbal
3: altercation before <sighs> that. And right, so that's a bad look. But so no. there's this all this drama all yeah. season with John Morant. He's his, been a his huge dad, team. Yep, Morant, his dad yeah. and. To make matters worse, this morning, late last night, early this morning, John Morant goes on Instagram Live, he's at a club, and in this Instagram Live, again, he has a gun and he's kind of waving the gun around. Uh, I believe he was rapping along the lyrics or singing a song or something that was Mm -hmm. playing in the club. But yeah, he's waving a gun around after all this, you know, this story already earlier in the same week. And Mm -hmm. it's... (laughs) I was watching Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless, Undisputed, and... Shannon was just going off about... He said, Ja, you got to start moving different, bruh. Like, I don't Uh know. Shannon has some great points. Typically when people make it out of the hood, they don't want to, you know, flex that lifestyle. Like, if you really are from there, you want to be proud of yourself for making it out. It's not the other way around of, you know, when you make it big, you want to show off how hood you are. Like, that's that's not cool. And Ja, now with all this... He has to get this under control. Otherwise, it's going to keep getting worse and worse, and it's going to potentially ruin his career. Well, this is the thing, you, you got, you, you've you got to figure this out. There's a statement
1: that came out this morning uh, from NBA spokesman Mike Bass. I'm just seeing this from a couple of the national NBA reporters saying that, quote, we are aware of a social media post involving John Morant and are investigating, unquote. So they're, they're looking into this. The, the NBA can't be happy about this because this is multiple incidents in a very, very short span of time. And... None of them have been, I don't know, over the top yet, but they're tracking down, like they're going down a path. The, the NBA doesn't want that. John Morant shouldn't want that. Like This doesn't end well if you continue down this path.
3: And this sense. is supposed to be one of the league's most marketable stars. Well, he's absolutely sensational. So they, the last thing the NBA wants is for John yeah. Morant. To become unmarketable because of all this stuff. Because they make a lot of money off of it. I mean, I mean when the Grizzlies g- come to Utah, that's one of their highest-selling games every season yeah. just because of John Morant. He's, he is a
1: must-watch NBA player because you're not sure what he's going to do. He's an uber-athlete. He, and the best part about him, and this is what I love about him on the court, on the court, he is so unafraid of anybody He's always trying to dunk it on everybody's head. It feels like at any given moment. And that's right. He's super marketable in the NBA. They yeah, they, they, they don't want to lose that. So hopefully he can figure it out. I he mean, just has to get smart,
3: smarter people around him. He has to have a better support circle. And that's what a lot of people now with social media and things like that. Like It's so easy to say, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm famous. I'm the... You know, I'm the next big thing in the NBA, and they just—they need to have somebody around them to, yeah. you know, help them be smarter and <laughs> they more need, self-aware. They need no people.
2: <laughs> they need no people, not yes people.
1: Right? Yeah. Well, to, and, well, here's the thing: Jaw's not the only one who's had this happen. He's not yeah. the only one who will have it happen. Yeah. This isn't new. The hope is that somebody can, whether it's the NBA, somebody around him can wise get him to wise up and realize okay you've got a good thing going here you are going to make money he, he's one of the guys in this generation by the way real quick in the nba who before he's done playing in the nba could have made one billion dollars there is that potential with how young he is and how contracts are trending right now he is going to make literal generational changing money and if he doesn't screw it up, so hopefully he can, as Michelle said, find somebody who is willing to say, Jot, this ain't it. Yeah, this yeah. ain't the move. <laughs> he's
3: not going to get endorsements with yeah. all this off-the-court stuff. I mean – He's got he's to figure it out. So, yeah, it's, it's just – this is yet another one. Like just like
1: he's had all these little incidents, and this is just the latest one. It's like, okay. And I want – the NBA could take some action with something like this because it's just it's – it's a bad, bad look. All right, anyways. You're overtime. We'll come back. Uh, we'll look ahead to BYU Spring Ball, which starts Monday down there in Provo. Uh, BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick joined DJ and PK yesterday. With some great thoughts on his revamped offense. He, he turned over a lot in terms of his offense this year. Some really good thoughts on the guys he brought in, et cetera. We'll get to all that coming up next. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone.
0: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold.